Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. So glad you've joined us. Uh, so glad that some of you have found us. Some of you are brand new, and uh, you found us at our new place. Uh, we are two weeks in uh, to this new spot, so in some ways, it's a good time to join us because uh, if you're new, all of us are to this space, uh, 4002 North 18th Avenue, and we're glad to be here. I'd love to share the story with you of how we got here another time, uh, but for now, we are uh, two weeks into this new space. We're also two weeks in to a new series called Still Living. Uh, if you joined us last week, we started this series, and we looked at uh, what it meant to not just be still physically in our bodies, but to be still in our souls, to be still and quiet before the Lord to experience peace. And, and we talked about last week in the first part of Psalm 46 how to do that and, and the help that God provides us and that he's our protector. He's our refuge and he's our strength. He's safe, but he's also strong. We see that in the life of Jesus. We see that in God the Father. And that's how we're able to be still. So I hope this week we talked about challenging uh, ourselves to have moments of Selah, you see that uh, several times in this psalm, Selah, it's, it's a pause. It, it's literally taking a breath and letting everything sink in and reflecting and, and being quiet before the Lord. And, and we talked about practicing that this week. And so I hope some of you practice that. I know some of you practice that and, and were blessed by that. I know some of you tried to practice that and it didn't work out so well. You're so used to distraction, so used to the busyness, you weren't able to still your soul. Well, it's okay, we have three more weeks to practice what it means to be still. And so today, we're going to talk about what it means to be still before God. And instead of looking at the protection of God, we're going to now look at the provision of God in verses 4 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we'd love for you to go back to the, one of those tables back there. We have plenty of them. If you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. We believe at Phoenix Bible Church, the power comes from God's word, not my word. And so you need to have a Bible, uh, not just on the screen, right? One that you can open up and study for yourself throughout the week uh, to be unleashed for God's purposes in your life. So grab a Bible, a physical copy, Psalm 46. If you just open up to the middle of your Bible, uh, you'll find it pretty easily there. If you don't want to grab a physical one, you can grab your phone, right? And you can go to BibleGateway.com. You can pull it up on an app. But get God's word in front of you. If you didn't already do that, do that now. Uh, here's our first point as we look at verse 4. It, uh, it's that in the midst of chaos, God provides. In the midst of chaos, God provides. In this case, externally, we're going to see in verse 4. So look at the verse with me. It says this, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. So if you did miss last week, this is a bit of a contrast. Right? Last week, the world literally or figuratively was falling apart all around them. Right? The psalmist talks about that. The, the waters, the seas are roaring. The mountains that are fixated are now moving into the sea, crumbling into the sea. Everything is falling apart. There's significant trouble. And one of the ways he describes that is this water, this sea that's, that's roaring. But then we come to verse 4, and there's a different kind of water. Right? There's a, a river, not a sea. And here's what's significant about that is in the ancient world, a sea what represented danger. A sea represented oftentimes the possibility of death. Why? How did they travel in the ancient world? They walked. 
rode a donkey, rode a camel, or they traveled by, by sea. Right? And don't be thinking like carnival cruise, ship, right? fancy yacht, motorboat. No, be thinking like little pontoon boat that's kind of falling apart, constructed with wood, right? And so you got to think about the sea as they traveled across the sea out of necessity. They were risking their life. People would lose their life. People that were hearing these words from the psalmist would know about people who lost their life to the sea that roared. So a sea was dangerous. A sea was scary, but a river was the opposite. A river was peaceful. A river represented life, growth. And so as the psalmist shifts here, we see a contrast from a sea roaring to a a river streaming. And literally, a river provides for us. A, A river in a city, a river in nature will provide life, growth, crops, right, health. It literally provides externally for us in tangible ways. But it also represents life and growth and health. And so if you think about the shelter you experience, it's represented here by the river. Anything that's tangible that God provides for you, even in the midst of chaos, those things when everything is falling off around you, Everything is crumbling around you, and you're able to say, wake up in the morning, get out of your bed, and say, God, I want to thank you that your mercies are new today, that I have this shelter over me right now, that I have food to eat, that I have water to drink, that literally the breath that I'm breathing out of my lungs and in my lungs is provided by you. That's representative of the river that God provides. It brings life. It sustains life, and it even does so practically. Anybody love the the peace and calm of water? Anybody thinking about uh, cool running water and the heat, the smoldering heat of Phoenix right now? If we just had like a water display, running water right here, it would just calm you right now, right? doesn't matter who you are. Last year, my my wife and I went to Havasupai Falls, which is a gym in Arizona. If you've never been, uh, bucket list, you should go, right? And there's a couple of ways to do Havasupai Falls. One way that everybody has to do it is you have to hike down into the falls. I think it's about a 10-mile hike. It took us six hours with a huge pack on, right? Uh, but, but there's a couple of ways to do it once you get down into the falls because there's, there's different falls. If you've ever been there, there's not just one falls. It's not just Havasupai Falls. There's Mooney Falls. There's Beaver Falls. There's Navajo Falls. There's little falls in, in between those falls, right? It's like an adult water park. Created by God. That's an amazing, amazing thing. But there's a couple ways to do that. You can jump off cliffs, like from 20 feet. You can do uh, cannonballs and 360s and, and just daring acts off these cliffs, right? Uh, people put um, picnic tables in the water, and they jump from one level to the next just to be a little bit higher, a little bit riskier. And that's one way to do Havasupai Falls. I don't like to do Havasupai Falls that way. Right? I don't know about you. When I go on vacation, I don't want to risk my life. Right? I want to relax my life. And so my favorite part of Havasupai Falls wasn't the risk-daring adventures. My favorite part of Havasupai Falls was the lazy river. Yeah, they got one. Right? God's lazy river. 
And we brought floats uh, that were deflated, just tips for you, free tips if you go. Floats that were deflated, we aired them up when we got there, and so there was this one part that was just calm and kind of circulated around. Literally, this exists. It's like heaven in Arizona, right? And we're on the floats, and we're just laying around in the peace, the cool of the water. We can see the waterfall, but I don't have to be in the waterfall. I can see it roaring, but I don't have to be in it. I can just be at the peace, the calmness of the water. One of my favorite things to do to relax, to be at peace in life. A river does that. It's a calming effect. Even if everything else around you is chaos, the river provides a calmness. And this calmness, this tangible provision of a river, look at the verse again with me, it has an effect. It brings about a result. Look at, look at the verse. Verse 5, makes glad the city of God. It makes glad. It brings joy the city of God. Now, the city of God is referring to Jerusalem, the holy habitation of God. That's where God dwelled. That's where the the temple was. That's where the tabernacle was. That's where people met with God, with the presence of God. And so in a a literal way, the psalmist is is considering that. uh, But many scholars think he's also considering the future city of God, the new Jerusalem, the one that we see displayed in Revelation, right, where Glad is the city of God where there's rivers and God's provision is made clear amongst God's people. So when you see city of God, when you see her twice in the next verse, it's referring to the people of God. To the people of God being provided for by God, in this case, externally through a river. And all of this provision, everything that the river provides, health, life, growth, peace, calmness. It's all because of God's presence, and that leads us to our next point. In the midst of chaos, God provides internally. In the midst of chaos, God provides internally. Look at verse 5 again with me. Uh, Notice it describes God's presence as in the midst of her. You you see, here's what's unique about the presence of God is that God is just not with us. We see that in the New Testament with Jesus, uh, Emmanuel, God with us. But God is not just merely with us. Like, don't picture the presence of God as uh, this distant, tailing car in a mystery movie who's kind of a few streets back, making sure he knows what you're doing, making sure you're not messing anything up, making sure he's watching over you just a few streets away, just a few miles back. Don't picture God's presence like that. God's presence isn't just with you, it's in you, right? He's not a few cars back. He's in the passenger seat. Literally, if you have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, if you've placed your faith in the Son of God, God's presence is literally within you through the Holy Spirit. And so God's presence is unique. It's it's not only with us, it's in us, and it's always there. Psalm 121 says it this way, that God never sleeps or slumbers. Like, get this, God never takes a nap. God never dozes off. God's presence, not just with you, in you, and it's always that way. God, listen, this is good news. God never clocks out. God's always with you in every situation, in every conflict, in every chaos. God's presence is within you. It's like how my kids view my wife. Um, my kids view my wife as that she's always there. 
Right, any moms in the room say amen to that? Hey, you're, you're always there. You always should be there because you're mom, right, in the, in the eyes of your kids. And so here's how it will look at my house at times. We'll, we'll tell my kids, hey, hey, mommy's leaving the house. Well, where's she going? I don't know. She has things to do other than just you sometimes, right? And so she's leaving the house to run an errand, to go do something, to go to her pastor wives group, to go do uh, work, whatever she's going to go do. And, and we tell the kids, hey, hey mommy's going to go. She tells the kids, hey, mommy's about to leave. Fifteen minutes later, I have to remind the kids the same truth. Hey, hey, mommy had to leave. And it never fails. It doesn't matter if she told them, if I reminded them. Just a few minutes later, what do the kids do? They're running through the house. Hey, mommy, mommy, you got to come see this. Mommy, you got to come help me with this. And I'm still there, and I'm like, kids, listen, we just told you. Mommy had to go. Remember, I reminded you, mommy's not here. Last night, I kid you not, 1 o'clock in the morning, one of my kids was sleepwalking. The first words that came out of her mouth, where's mommy? 1 o'clock in the morning, which, by the way, I'm a little offended by. Right, like daddy is capable too. Daddy is here too. Daddy is in the midst of you too. Can I not help you? Right, they're usually like, no, I need mommy, right? My kids view their mom as always in their midst. Listen, my wife is amazing. She's an amazing mother, but she can't do that. She can't always be in their midst. She does sleep and she does slumber, and she should. She does leave the house, and she should, Right? She can't be with them, in the midst of them, every waking minute of every day. But listen, God the Father, he can. Amen? God the Father, he is for you. Not just when everything is calm, but when everything is chaotic. God is still in the midst of you. He provides for you his presence daily, every minute, every hour. God is with you. He's in your midst. You can cry out to him, and he's not gone. He's there. It may feel like he's gone. It may feel like, God, did you go run an errand? God, are you taking a nap right now? Because my work situation is really jacked up right now. My financial situation is really dire. God, are you sure you're still in the midst of this? And God would answer you, yes. Psalm 121, God never sleeps. God never slumbers. Psalm 46, God is in the midst of you. He's not just with you from afar. He's not just close by. He's in your very midst. God provides internally. God provides externally so we can be at peace. Now, let's talk about what that means. God is in the midst of your situation. Okay, God's in the midst of your conflict. God's in the midst of your job. God's in the midst of that promotion you didn't get. God's in the midst of that family drama that you have right now. God's in the midst of those bitter feelings that you have right now. God's in the midst of even your lack and your fool. So let's talk about what that means. God's always in your midst. That means he's in your schedule. That means he's in your busyness. That means God is in your, your calendar. You ever thought about that? God's always in your midst. And some of you might think, Tim, my calendar, that's my thing. 
Like God gets Sunday, I get the rest of the week. This is my calendar. This is, this is me. God's not in the midst of my calendar. Why does he care about little old calendar? God's always in your midst. So here's a question for you. Do you live that way? Do you live that, that God's in the midst of every situation, every conflict, every part of my life, so he's in the midst of my schedule, my calendar, my busyness, my escaping. God's in the midst of that. He sees, he knows, and he's involved. So another question, a simple yet horrifying question. What if you lived as if God was in the midst of your calendar and God ran your calendar? What would change about your calendar? What would you add to your calendar? What would you remove from your calendar? If you thought, God, you're in the midst of this, so as I, as I hit this add button, as I schedule this meeting, as I, as I take care of this task, is that something you want me to do? Is that priority right now? Or am I just filling up my life because if I'm honest, I'm so scared of being still that I have to stay busy. What if you realized God's in the midst of your calendar? What if you acted as if God was in the midst of your calendar and running your calendar? What would change? How would you be still? How would you quiet your soul? How would you adjust your schedule? Some of you, you think about being still and it just seems impossible. And listen, some of that is because of your soul. Some of that's because of your schedule. You need to change that. You need to get with your spouse, get with your roommate, get with your kids, have a family meeting and put everything on the calendar and see what needs to go and what needs to stay. See what needs to be replaced. But if you're thinking, I never have time to study God's word. I never have time to pray uh, to God. I never have time to talk to my kids about Jesus. Then you need to create some time because God's in the midst of your calendar. God's in the midst of your schedule. If you say, I follow God, but my calendar's mine, then you're off the rails. So what would change about your calendar, your schedule? Something as simple as that, which is not as simple as that. What would change about that if God was in the midst of your calendar running your schedule so that you could be still before him? God provides his presence Internally, so you can make adjustments, so you can make decisions like that. And it's his presence that enables us to be still, even when everything around us is not. That brings us to our second contrast in the passage. Look back at verse 5 with me. It says, God is in the midst of her, so, there's a result, she shall not be moved. Now, what's interesting is, remember verse 2, the mountains are moving into the sea. We come to verse 5, she shall not be moved. So the mountains are moving into the sea, but God's presence is always with you in every situation, in every schedule, part of your life. God's in the midst of you, so even though the mountains are moving around you, you are not moved. Same word, right? Same word in the Hebrew. You are not moved, even though everything around you is moving. Now, I wish it said, the mountains will stop moving, so therefore you will not be moved. It'd be nice if it said that. If I wrote this, I would have said that. But the reality is God doesn't say that. God provides internal peace amidst the chaos that's externally around you. Right? 
Even when everything else is moving, you cannot be moved. It's the same thing we said last week, that even though the language in verses 1 through 3, though the mountains are moving, though the seas are roaring, though those things are still happening, God is your refuge and strength, your ever-present help. It's the same idea here. Everything around you can be chaotic, but you can be calm because of the presence of God. He's providing his presence for that very purpose. I think of John Wesley, an old theologian, who uh, wrote in his journal uh, lots of things that we, you can go back and read. You can even find on the Internet and, and see specifically the story of the Moravian missionaries. Uh, the story goes, John Wesley was on a boat uh, with these Moravian missionaries, and a big storm hits, and everything is falling apart around them, and everybody's freaking out. Everybody's screaming. Everybody's crying, except for these Moravian missionaries. They're huddled up over on the side of the boat, and they're not screaming. They're singing hymns about God. And John Wesley looks over and sees that, and later, after the storm dies down, he goes over to those Moravian missionaries, and he says, hey, guys, why weren't you screaming like everybody else? Why weren't you afraid like everybody else? And he says the Moravian missionaries simply responded, we have faith in God, so we don't have to fear. Even death. Because God provides. God provides a peace that we will be with him. His presence is with us. It's in us for eternity. So we don't even have to fear death. And that even when the storm hits and everybody's screaming, we can be singing. As John Wesley describes it, he says, that was one of the moments that made me realize I don't have that. I, I don't have what they have. I, I thought I had faith in God, but I don't have that kind of faith of God. And it led him to place his faith in Jesus Christ. John Wesley, a great mover in theology and church history for other people to to go away from fear and to place their faith in God, that's how he placed his faith in God. The calmness in the midst of the chaos. God provides that for you in whatever situation you're going through. He helps us. The psalmist mentions that. God will help when the morning dawns. It's the idea that the pain, the sorrow, the chaos we're experiencing now won't be the final word. Isn't the final story. Right? God will help when the morning dawns. Think about what happens when the morning dawns. The darkness fades. The shadows it dissipate. The morning dawns. Right, we get to experience that real life every day in Phoenix. Right, literally, the sun comes out, the darkness fades. The psalmist is describing the new mercies that come with the next day but he's also describing, and maybe this doesn't help you as much, the new mercies that come with a new day, a new heaven, a new earth, that at some point, the morning will dawn. I know it doesn't feel like that in your pain, in your conflict, and that thing that keeps going back and forth in your marriage where you can't agree, in your schedule that never seems to end or give you a pause. You're thinking, when's the last time I've had a vacation? When's the last time I've had a vacation that was actually a relief instead of just exhausting? And it seems like it will never end. And here's the truth we can hang on to internally that it will. One day, the dawn will break. Now listen, 
I'm not going to lie to you. Here's the tension for me as a preacher. I could tell you the best is yet to come. Right? It's all going to be over tomorrow. There's a new day. I could tell you that. And many of you would know by experience and just by reading your Bible, that new day didn't always help people. Right? John the Baptist was still beheaded. Paul was still beheaded. Paul had faith in God. Paul lived for God. God Paul knew that God was providing internally for him. That new day didn't help him. I could tell you that. I could puff you up. But listen, I'm not going to do that. But what I will tell you is what this psalmist is telling you is that one day there will be a dawn that will break for you in your situation. Now, maybe it's not tomorrow. Maybe it's six months from now. Maybe it's six years from now. And maybe God wants to refine you in the midst of your pain and not just remove it. That doesn't preach as well, does it? But it's true. And it's true for you not just today in an emotional moment in a sermon. It's true for you on Wednesday. And the same is true as we look towards eternity, that one day the dawn will break for everyone. Uh, Scripture talks about it, there will be no more tears, no more pain. In that glad city of God, in the future, that God will make everything right, right. The dawn will break. And there will be help. No matter what you're going through, it doesn't have to be the final word or your final story. Why? Because God is in your midst and he is your help. He provides that internally. Final point. In the midst of chaos, God provides eternally. So God provides externally. That's the river. That's the life, the health, the growth. Right? God provides internally. That's his presence, his comfort Knowing that he is your help, knowing this is not the final word, taking comfort in that, calmness in the midst of chaos. And then lastly, God does provide eternally. Look at verse 6 again with me. It says this, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He, that's God, he utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. We're going to sing this in a moment, Psalm 46. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, most scholars believe that this is referring to the changing political situation at the time. And this is something, listen, we don't have to contextualize. How many of us can see, not just right now, but let's just say the last 10 years, how the political climate has changed. And I'm not even just talking about America. Don't, don't come talk to me about political party affiliation. Like, I just, I will, I'll walk away. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that, right? I'm not just talking about political parties. I'm not even just talking about America. I'm not even just talking about the current presidency. I'm talking about in our world, how kingdoms totter, Right? How, how we see, I don't need to contextualize this, you see, turn on the news, you see the volatility and the fragility of our kingdoms, of our governments. That's what the psalmist is describing. And again, he contrasts that with the reign and rule of God. He said, God utters his voice, the earth melts. God doesn't totter. Right? God is constant. His reign, his rule is powerful, enough Just by his voice, the earth melts. It doesn't change every four years. It doesn't change with a new policy. God is constant. His rule and reign is constant. That gives us confidence. Another thing that gives us confidence, look at verse 7, is these two titles 
the psalmist gives, the Lord of hosts, the God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord of hosts, literally it's talking about that God is like a general of an angel army. Not just cute little chubby angels, but like powerful, powerful warrior angels. He's the Lord of hosts of those. He's powerful. God is also faithful. He's the God of Jacob. What does that mean? He's a covenant-keeping God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God keeps his covenant. He's, he's faithful. He's powerful. And that should give us confidence eternally. God's a covenant-keeping God. He's not just committed to you. He's in covenant with you. But I realize for many of us, this doesn't give us that kind of confidence or peace. Why? Because we can think about all the times we've broken God's covenant. We've been unfaithful. Most of the time, that's what sticks out to us. It's not the covenant-keeping God. It's that we've broken the covenant on our end. Through rebellion, through sin, against God, through indifference to God, through neglect of of our family, of our friends, of loving one another as Christ has loved us, through the busyness, through the distraction, through the escaping, through the noise that we never quiet our soul and we never spend time with God. And we can think about all the ways we've broken this covenant. So even as I say that to you, God's a covenant-keeping God. Eternally, he'll give you confidence and peace. Easy to say, harder to live out, right? Harder to know on Monday, easy to say on Sunday. Here's what's interesting, though. This title... God of Jacob. What does Jacob mean? The name Jacob means deceiver. And that wasn't just his name. If you read the story of Jacob, that's what he did. Jacob deceived his brother Esau. Jacob deceived. Now, God blessed him and used him despite his deception. But the God of a deceiver is what you should read. The covenant-keeping God was the God of Jacob. You see, the beauty of the God of Jacob is that even when you fail to keep his covenant, he keeps his. Jesus in the New Testament says, right before he departs, right before he ascends, he says, I will be with you. Not just till the next time you screw up. Not till the next time that you neglect me and choose something else in your schedule over me. Jesus says, right before he ascends to the Father, he says, I will be with you even when, till the end of the age, that your sin can't break God's covenant, that your failure can't break God's covenant, that your deception can't break God's covenant, that it will persevere. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, it will persevere through all of that, even to death, till the end of the age. So maybe you're thinking about all the ways that you've broken God's covenant. You need to be reminded and given peace and confidence of the way God has kept his. That gives us peace, calmness, even in the midst of chaos. We have eternal confidence. He ends this with that pause, with that selah. I heard one commentator say it this way. It's like saying selah is like saying pause and just let that sink in. God is in your midst. God is providing life for you. God is providing eternal confidence for you. Just pause and let that sink in. When's the last time you've done that? Do you have 
peace in your life from not doing that. From just looking at yourself and your situation and your schedule, is that bringing you peace? Scrambling, solving, is that bringing you peace? The reality is you'll only experience peace when you experience surrender. You, you won't experience peace clenched fist. It's my schedule. It's my, my finances. My, my conflict. I, I'll figure this out. I, I can provide for my family. I can take care of this situation. You, you don't experience peace that way. You experience peace like this, open-handed before God, a God who provides life externally, a God who provides peace internally, a God who provides confidence eternally. You say la, you pause, let that sink in, and God provides peace. Some of you, your schedule is preventing peace. This is external for you, and you need to see how God brings life, how God is in the midst of your schedule, and you need to adjust that. Some of you, it's your soul that's preventing peace. You say, my schedule, I mean, my schedule is okay, but if I'm honest, my soul is not at peace. I know leisure, but I don't know rest. I know how to sit down physically and be still, but I don't know what it means to quiet my soul before God. That I have unrepentant sin in my life that's disconnecting my soul from God. That I have unresolved conflict with other people that's, that's disconnecting my soul from other people that I know what it means to be still physically but not spiritually. Your soul is preventing you from being still. I know one of the things that we've done in this series, really simple, is start to memorize Psalm 46. It's 11 verses. You can memorize that. And one of the ways we do that, we do have a family. We do have three kids. This will work in any context for you. At dinner time, uh, we uh, start memorizing Psalm 46. So we just started with God is our refuge and strength. And we, we tried to make it fun, right, for the kids. And so we got these, uh, these chalk markers, right? Is that what they are? These fun chalk markers. And so they get to write in colorful markers, God is our refuge and strength. They all get to take a shot at writing it. They all get to take a shot at saying it. When they say it, if they finish eating the food, they get to stand up on the bench, which is a privilege, right, above all the other kids stand up and they start getting proud of themselves and we're like, no, God is your refuge. God is your strength, not you. Let's memorize the verse appropriately. And we've just started to do that. And we just said, hey, this is our memory verse for this week. And we're just going to keep going. It'll probably take us more than four weeks. Some of you, you don't have a nine-year-old and a three-year-old, and so you can do it like a couple weeks, right? What if you just started stilling your soul before God by, by just memorizing this song, this truth? And all of you can take those moments to do that. Some of you, it's not your schedule, it's not your soul, it's your lack of salvation. That's preventing peace. Um, some of you may know this. President Obama, former President Obama, 10th anniversary of 9-11, he read this psalm. Out loud, publicly, on television, he read this psalm. And as I saw that, I couldn't help but think how many people would be comforted by Psalm 46. That's a comforting psalm. God is our refuge, strength. Be still and know that I'm God. Right, put that on a coffee mug. Put that on a prayer quilt. Play that on K-Love. Like, it's positive and encouraging. Like, 
and I couldn't help but think, I wonder how many people were comforted by Psalm 46 and the truth of Psalm 46. The anniversary of 9-11, how many people needed that comfort? How many people were comforted as they heard these verses read? But then I couldn't help but think, how many of those people shouldn't have been comforted? Shouldn't have been comforted. Why? Because some of those people watching that television, some of those people listening to those words, they don't know God. For them, God isn't yet the refuge and strength. Like in order to know peace, you have to know God. In order to have peace, you have to put your faith in the prince of peace. So these words, while comforting uh, just externally on a coffee mug or in a song or even in a reading, you have to experience salvation to experience this kind of silence and solitude and stillness before God. And so for some of you, maybe you don't know peace because you don't know the Prince of Peace. You don't know Jesus. And as you hear Jesus saying, I will be with you even till the very end, he's not talking about you. Listen, that's God's grace to you to hear that this morning. Why? Because that can change. You can receive the salvation of God. You can confess your sin to God, your schedule to God, your distraction to God, your rebellion to God, your neglect of God. You can lay all that out, open-handed, surrender to God and say, God, I believe that Jesus Christ took all of my sin on the cross. He paid for it in full. He rose again. And just as he's safe, he's also strong to defeat death and the grave. And he did that for me. And I believe that. And I surrender my life to you. You could do that right now. You could stop listening to me and start talking to him. And say those words. And believe that in your heart. And you can know God. And then you can know peace. And then you can hear the words of the psalmist in Psalm 46 when he says, be still and know that I'm God, that I'm in your midst, that I'm your very present help, that I'm your refuge and your strength. You can hear that, and it can actually comfort your soul, even in the midst of chaos. And so what is it for you? Is it your schedule? Is it your soul? Is it your salvation? We're going to say law. We're going to pause right now. I'm going to pray for you. I'd ask you to stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. I want to pray this over you. And I just want you to close your eyes, every head bowed, every eye closed, and I want you to think about your schedule, your soul, your salvation. You have a moment to pause now, to Selah now. Don't think about how you can't do that on Wednesday. Do that on Sunday right now. That's why we've gathered to do that now. So let me pray this over you. over your schedule, over your soul, over your salvation. Psalm 46. This is true for you if you know God. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear even though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, 
Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, make glad the people of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. God is in the midst of you. You, she, shall not be moved. God will help when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. God utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that he is God. He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob, the God of the deceiver, the God of Covenant is our fortress. Say la. Pause and let that sink in for your life, for your schedule, for your soul, for your salvation. God, I want to thank you that we can be still because you are our Savior. God, I want to thank you that we can be still as we surrender in this moment. There's so many distractions, there's so many ideas, there's so many thoughts that could keep us from being still. God, and I pray in the name of Jesus, you would remove those and replace them with your presence that you provide to us so generously through your Holy Spirit that as we sing these words, that these might be truths, declarations that you are singing, that we are singing over us, over our soul, over our schedule. God, I I know there's men and women in here who need a Selah moment right now. They need your provision that brings peace, and I pray that they would experience it, that they wouldn't leave here without experiencing that. We pray that in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit.